On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses Ken's recent experience seeing the cure. Hi, and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands, album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this special concert series edition episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friend, Ken Gregory, as we discuss his recent experience seeing The Cure live in Philadelphia. Ken, so, of course, you know, mandatory disclaimer, I don't think either one of us is going to claim that The Cure is progressive rock. Are we? No, I shall not do that. But, um, <laughs> I mean, we, we do a lot of prog, not prog themes, and we talk about uh, things that appeal to proggers in the mainstream genres. So... I'm not afraid to go down this path, and clearly, you know, you've touched on Duran Duran, and I've touched on Peter Hook and New Order, so might as well, you know, we're already here. We, yeah, we we may as well. It, we're already here. There are a couple of aspects of this uh, particular tour that I think are noteworthy. Uh, one is, you know, this is a tour that. I think has sort of was sort of bubbling under the surface. Um, Cure fans were very anxious for it. There was a lot of sort of news kind of coming out slowly that this was going to happen. Um, and and so the other thing is the Cure haven't toured in a really long time. I don't know if they've toured uh, in between, but I did see that this was the first time they'd performed in Philadelphia in 15 years. Um, Mm -hmm. so, so this was, this was a big event to, uh, to see. Now, there are a couple of other aspects of the cure, uh, specifically that I, I think factor into our story. So one of the things when I was at the University of Delaware, I was on a student programming board who was responsible for, you know, as students sort of arranging and overseeing a lot of the entertainment for students on campus. And um, one of our one of our members who was responsible for concerts ended up uh, pursuing a career in concert lighting. And I remember talking to him after we had graduated. I'd seen him when he came through Dallas with a couple of different tours, you know, way back in the day, including Nine Inch Nails when they were touring with David Bowie. And I saw him once with Depeche Mode. And I think he was on the U2 uh, pop tour. But his his main goal always was to get on a Cure tour because apparently, you know, the Cure were very famous for their their lighting portion of their their shows. So I thought that's kind of cool, very neat. Mm. And then um, more personally, I remember even further back in the day when 
I was gifted my very first bass guitar for uh, a Christmas gift. And and you and I would sit in your room and you would you, you were teaching me the the rudimentary aspects of, of bass playing. And uh, you taught me a couple of cure bass lines, as I recall. So, um, you know, just a, a little personal aspect of, of our history all tied up in here. My God, you'll have to teach them back to me. <laughs> I, I did jam along to um, some streaming cure to get psyched up for this. And that, that that's... It's a help with anything that I review for the Believer, but it was definitely a help to get me psyched for this concert. Not that I needed it, but it really, really scratches the itch for me as a musician. I'm just going to jump right in to um, that night. After that show, I rearranged an old tune. And I think now it's been a few days. I've rearranged... Three of my tunes, I think I think a couple of them from the 90s, maybe one is a bit newer, but just getting inspired from a live show is a, a huge cool to me. Yeah, I tend to switch chords too often in, 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 the, in the mode of a progger or of a jazz person or whatever it is that I, you know, experimented with at the time. And... Um, just getting into some uh, truly chill and focused music. Uh, that is huge, huge uh, inspiration to me. Um, another thing that hit me in my web searches uh, about this and just chatting with friends online, one of the Cure guitarists toured with Page and Plant I think it was Pearl Thompson. And uh, it's funny how you can have a song like Lullaby sound so different with Jimmy Page barfing all over it. So that, that's, that's something I learned from my little detour into the interwebs. So... Wait, this was a, a an older recorded <laughs> version? Like, I'm very confused. Um, in, 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 actually, I think I, I, I came across this after I had been to the concert. And um, uh, it came to my attention that uh, Pearl Thompson, former guitarist of The Cure, not on this current tour. Correct. But in the 90s, after having been a member of The Cure went out on the road with Page and Plant as the second guitarist. And somehow, through his influence, they worked the song Lullaby into the Page and Plant set. Get and out of town. There is evidence <laughs> of Jimmy Page and Robert Plant doing this, and it just sounds so different from The Cure. And it, 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 it gave me even more respect for what they do. That's amazing. Uh, <laughs> I'm a huge Robert Plant fan, a lot of soul, um, uh, but not necessarily that much of a Jimmy Page fan. Um, so, uh, I, uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm recommending that you go there and, and check that out if you're the least bit interested. 
all the magic of Page is really in his his composition and in the in the, in the early years. I, I just I just don't see him venturing into others' material in that fashion. I'm 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 gonna take another crazy detour in true Palaver fashion. You talked about your your college associate going on the road with uh, Nine Inch Nails when David. Bowie recruited Nine Inch Nails to tour with him. Uh, he had a very famous guitarist by the name of Reeves Gabrels. That is correct. Who joined yeah. David for Tin Machine and I believe stayed around for quite some time afterwards. Right, 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 right. Okay. Any idea what Reeves Gabrels is doing today? Uh, besides touring with the Cure, no, I don't know what he's doing. Oh well, that's precisely where I'm going with this. Um, he does a wonderful job. Uh, uh, the experience that Reeves garnered working with David Bowie was great preparation for him to work with the Cure, and I'm I'm grateful that he's you know in that zone, in that mode, in an authentic part. Of the cure for several years um since 2012 yeah can you imagine 11 years he's been with the cure now granted they haven't i don't know how much they've done in those 11 years um but yeah this lineup is is actually quite fascinating i i don't know how often they've toured as a six piece um obviously the i think the band has vacillated between um like a three and a, a six or seven at any given time. But this absolutely six at this point. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So you've got, you've got Robert Smith, um, guitars, vocals. Um, I'm assuming he didn't do anything else on, on stage. Uh, Simon Gallup. Um, oh, not what? so fast. Not so fast. Okay. What else does Robert Smith do on, uh, on stage? I thought it was a melodica or a hooter. Really? Um, it was something in the family of of the blow into a pipe thingy. Yeah. Interesting. He had he he's, he had a thing. I'm gonna have to look him up here to see if he's routinely doing that or just something he pulled out for this tour. Okay. You've got Simon Gallup, longtime bass player. Uh, Simon, I've seen some clips. Simon does not appear to have aged at all. Roger O'Donnell, who was the keyboardist initially on Disintegration. Um, so obviously a huge portion of the, the band's history there. Um, Perry Bamante, who I, if I recall correctly, and apologies to those who know much more than I do, Perry Bamonte, I think, used to be the guitar technician and became the keyboardist potentially when one of their keyboardists was dismissed, and then he eventually became the guitarist. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, okay. and and uh, Jason Cooper on drums, and he's been with them since 96, and then, of course, the previously mentioned Rees Gabrels, which you know, at first glance seems like an interesting choice, but by all accounts, it seems to work well. And, you know, I always admire, a, you know, a band. It's interesting when you listen to The Cure, 
their early stuff when they were a trio is very, very sparse. Um, and obviously the things, you know, as they added more people and, and developed their own skill, the music became a lot more dense, um, you know, uh, sure. and, and so, you know, it's almost like they, you know, for some of the stuff, they absolutely need this many people, I think, to recreate it live. And um, I'll be curious to hear how they do on some of the uh, the older stuff. You correctly identified the six people on stage on this tour. There was a seventh mystery man. Ooh, I was not aware of a seventh mystery man. <laughs> Part of the ethos of saving money and bringing affordable tickets to your fans is that you don't have an elaborate set uh so 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 therefore you know i could see you know the monitor mixer type guy pretty clearly i think there was an audio archivist um you could see the guitar text pretty clearly they didn't have anywhere to hide. They were just kind of like on the, really? on the sides. And and next to the drummer is a drum tech. And I couldn't figure out if he was running any sequences or not. But he was very attentive the entire show. So he may have uh, run some click tracks or sequences or whatnot. It just seemed like there was a rack in between the drums and this dude in the back of the stage and i'm pretty confident that the drums were triggering uh you know you know sounds and it, and it was clear that this rack kind of needed to be somewhat close to the drums interesting there was no, there was no like under the stage where this could hide uh maybe in a larger production this dude would have been under the stage and he was very very religiously just listening and doing something during almost every song and then and then when that role finished and they needed an extra roadie he would jump up from his chair and he would go to the back of the stage and he'd shine a flashlight so that the drummer knew where to walk <laughs> and, and, and it, this was all very very choreographed and um it, it, that that dude just had to be kind of on stage, kind of half hidden by the bass rig. I love the way they did the um, the set. They, they they had these platforms, risers, and I imagine it took two per side. So you've got five guys across the front, and they need gear. Yeah. Um, Reeves Cabrels. It looked like the uh, uh, so Soldano cabinets. And he had, it looked like two 12-inch speakers in each of these cabinets. And each cabinet had a head on top of it. And these three units are facing at him. So I don't know if that's because he has an endorsement. I don't know if that's because, you know one or two of them are backups or if he's really got three of these facing him <laughs> <laughs> and then and then robert smith had like these three practice amps and something that looked like a keyboard amp doing the same deal facing him 
And normally, Ampeg base cabs are as tall as a human being with right. a head on top. They take two of these. They've got like one laying on its side on top of this uh, platform. And behind that is like a backup base cabinet laying on its side. It, it's, it's a pretty common trick for bands. If, if you, you know, you know. If, if, if you don't want the bass cabinet to be taller than the guitar cabinets, you can right. do this trick you put on its side. And then, and then um, uh, Roger, the keyboardist, had, had, had three monitors behind him. <laughs> and, right, right, right. But, but as if that's not enough, everybody gets two wedges. Really? In the, two. In the, in the day and age of in-ear monitors... These boys, I mean, I assume that um, Jason on drums had ears, but everybody else had two wedges, almost like it was a friggin' stereo mix. And my, my goodness, um, the pedals. I, I recognize, like, the green line six that Reeves had and maybe some of the stuff. Robert looked like he was stomping on boss boxes i mean and they they, they, they weren't your <laughs> <laughs> they, they they weren't like the emulators or anything like that robert had a pretty traditional stomp box setup uh and then of course um bamante he was the furthest away from me but i could still tell we had a pair of binoculars with us i went with my partner in crime and, and her daughter and a trio of us passed around the binoculars, so we got to, got to see, see a, a, a good deal despite our, our, our nosebleed seats. So um, we had, um, oh man, I want to say like, I don't know, 20 rows back on stage left in the nosebleed side. Um, it, it, it was pretty good. It was pretty enjoyable, and like I said, I I I, I could still see a lot um, of what they were doing. And in terms of instrument switching, the guitar techs headed out after almost every song with choreographed precision to get the the, the guys what they needed. And one of the coolest sounds. In, in the Cure catalog is from the six-string bass guitar, which is mostly Bamante's playing it, but Gabrell's apparently plays it from time to time, too. The six-string bass. Um, if, if you th think so, a, lot of, a lot of the layering that they do, yeah. Simon Gallup is always invariably doing the traditional low bass line. But then you'll have the woven textures above that, and it's a real delight to kind of see it done live because it's not something I pick up just by, you know, using headphones and listening to the recording. Right. You know, to me, that could be a guitar with an effect on it. It could be an octave or pedal. It could be anything. But when you see somebody actually playing a six-string bass, you're like, oh, that's, that's fantastic.
Um, and you said both Reeves and Perry took turns playing that while Simon just played the standard four-string bass. Mostly Perry, but I think I think at some point Reeves had had one of them as well. There were a lot of guitars involved in this tour. I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if, if uh, Perry Bamonte had a separate six-string bass from Reeves and Browse, you know, because, you know, you got to have your own, right? You, you have to. You can't be sharing. <laughs> Just from strap length alone. I mean, you know, you need your own thing. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, it's such a well-oiled machine. I mean, I mean, you know, think of it. Uh, most of these guys um, earned their place in the band in the 90s, and whether they left or not, uh, they seem to have a mutual understanding for what this music needs to be. And it happens so naturally and so easily. You know, there are times when the prog that we love can be a little uppity and a little forced. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> I so, do know. <laughs> and that, that, that sometimes that presents with flying colors and it's incredible. Um, but other times you, you just you just want music that happens a little bit more organic fashion. And that's that's clearly what you're getting here. The ultimate experience, however is the voice obviously the primary songwriter you know he admits to writing 75 percent of the material and admits that the other musicians have to revolve their life schedules around his and it's all about robert he parries himself like an opera singer really whether he, whether he studied and it's deliberate or whether that's just a consequence of living life as a vocalist. You know, the pipes that that man walks around with are an incredible asset. Um, when he speaks on the mic, and frankly, when he speaks in interviews, he's generally saving the chords. Um, he, he's using like a very, very conservative, hushed tone, and he's never too emphatic or pushing anything. And just watching that man dance, I, I saw this on web videos prior to the concert, and I saw it with my own eyes in the concert. There is nothing forced about what this, you know, man does. He's He's wearing these platform-sold goth boots, so I, I, I don't think he can really do anything too fancy with his feet while, while he's got these huge things on. But he, he just carries himself in such, like, this gentle fashion. Like, like the sound of his voice is also the, the mood of his walk. Interesting. Um, but he's also, you know, an old man. I don't know if you have his age in front of you, but, you know, he, he's got a good 10 years on us. Yeah. Um, and I want to say somewhere in the late 90s, early 2000, I mean, he started presenting 
as a large man. Right. And that's a wonderful way to present for a vocalist because you're always supporting yourself and you're never concerned with, you know, any kind of tailoring of the clothes or anything like that. You're like, I am large and in charge and I'm supporting my breath and this is who I am. So when I say he, he presents as a little bit of an opera singer, it, 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 it's partly, you know, his weight and his overall build and how he breathes. I mean, he just has that look. Now, as for the results, he is singing incredibly well. It's amazing. It's just is is he sounds like he does on the albums. Really? Yeah, it's it's so it's funny, right? Cuz I've never actually seen The Cure and I understand that these tickets were not the easiest to come by, perhaps not Taylor Swift difficult, but difficult nonetheless. And um when this tour was finally announced, I thought, ah, this is my opportunity. However, as luck would have it, um, due to my nuptials, I was unavailable any time that The Cure were somewhere that I could have gotten to see them. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> and so, so it was one of those things where it was just like, all right, you know, we're just going to have to accept that this is the way it is. So it, at this point in my life, I've never seen The Cure and I've never seen Billy Idol, and I don't know that I'm ever going to get to see either of those. And I'm at peace with that. That's that's very, very okay with me. Um, but I you know, I'm I'm sitting here looking at the set list, and there are a few songs like that they played in Philly that I would have absolutely loved to have seen including um, A Night Like This, one of my all-time favorites. Um, Charlotte Sometimes is a good one. Play for Today and A Forest, um, very, very important to me. Um, just great stuff. And it's interesting. So I've, I've looked at, a, you know, several of the, the set lists. And, and I guess I should step back here for a second, and I need to give some credit. I... I have no idea why they would be listening to this podcast, but there is a podcast that I, I do dabble in now and again called the Holy Hour podcast, um, where they discuss the cure, uh, in great depth. And one of the gentlemen on that, uh, or maybe he's not, but they're, they seem to know each other. Um, so there's the Holy Hour podcast on Instagram. And then there is a person by the who goes by the name of 17 seconds who used to have i guess up until just very recently a cure t-shirt business hmm. and these guys you know obviously they were out of their mind for this to the point sure. where they saw the cure five times in six days oh my god they were at the three New York City shows, they were at the Philly show, and they were at the Maryland show. And so for five days, my Instagram was flooded with these pictures and, and uh, video clips. And I was just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. oh, you guys are killing me. But it seemed phenomenal. And they were very, very, um, they were very, very into it. And it, it's just, it's funny because, you know, like I said, when I, when I look at the set list and I see 
um, a night like this, I'm like, my brain is exploding. And I don't know that I noticed them ever talk about it. I know Plain Song, which was one of the um, encore numbers, was, was big for them. And what I was going to say is I've looked at a lot of the the set list, the, the basic set list mainly stays the same, um, but they will mix up the, the encores pretty significantly. And I guess when they did the three shows back to back to back in New York, they did actually change out quite a lot of the set for that. So sure. very, very cool. But, um, you know, the, the set list that they have here is phenomenal. And this was a two hour and 27 minute show i guess ken so you know was that enough too much for you you know not enough we researched this we wanted to know when the hell the phillies were done okay and and i guarantee you that despite the efforts of major league baseball to shorten every game by <laughs> approximately 30 minutes with the new rules that's still not time enough to get rid of all the buttholes so um yeah just trying to get into the venue to park if a phillies game ends any earlier than 11 p.m half of those people need to go to the nearest chickies and pete's or whatever it is <laughs> or just walk about the roads and block cars because that that's their destiny in life I mean, I mean, you know, what, 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 once you've had a really great game, there's no way to top that off and other than blocking cars. I mean, it's such a, so rewarding. And somehow we kind of calculated this in advance and kind of did the math and we factored in a, a 20 minute delay for morons in the street. We were right. Um, and we also calculated that, that we would not be seeing is it sad? Is it the uh, the the? Um, we did not see the Scottish opening band. Oh, okay. Un unfortunately, because it was just plain as day that we needed energy and focus for the cure, and we needed to not expend an hour's worth of energy on an opening band. So you know. As a, as, as a music podcaster, I'm sure that's a bit of a sin, but, you know, we make, <laughs> we make these trade-offs in our lives. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's not a sin, but I'm, I'm just curious from your perspective, you know, not necessarily being, you know, an aficionado, you know, what was your overall feeling besides these general sort of... Um, observations you had about Robert him, himself I mean was it did it sound good did it look good was it yeah would were you entertained I found that you are not as closely as you did but through your inspiration I mean I know it was you that gave me disintegration on cassette yeah and I, I listened to that constantly and um I purchased kiss me kiss me kiss me on cassette and and and, and frankly if, if, if you had to ask me what the best cure album is it's it's the compilation standing on a beach that just shows the brilliance of yeah. the first two releases um 
there's just something so magical. I mean, Robert Smith, it, 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 it came out in 2021. Somebody got their 1979 Paris television performance and put it on the web. And you have a fully formed Robert Smith in 1979. <laughs> like, it was all there. It was all waiting to come out. And, 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 and Simon Gallup was there, too. And it was, it what, was, it what did you think of Simon? Because like I said, Simon seems to be, you know, drinking from the fountain of youth or whatever. I mean, I'm, I know there's hair dye in the world, but he looks very thin. He still has, you know, hair that I would attribute to 1979 right. to a certain degree, you know. Yes. Um, that, that was precisely the, the chatter among our group. That, that that Simon looked 10, if not 20 years younger than the rest. I mean, he still had um, the leather. Did he have leather? No, he had jeans on, but leather boots and potentially leather jacket at some point. And he took that off. And on the back of his base and on the front of his Ampeg cabinet, in white tape, it said, Bad Wolf. He wants everyone to know that he's a bad wolf. <laughs> And I, I just saw a picture of that today, actually, and it made me laugh. <laughs> yeah, and, and he's he's really the only one dancing, maybe other than Robert, you know, doing some fancy fit, footwork. And, and Reeves will make some wonderful sweeps or gestures at the right moment. But, but, you know, the only dance happening on that stage with, with, with Simon. He is the muse. He is the uh, comic relief of, of the show. He kind of keeps that whole thing bouncing. Uh, you said sonically this band meshes well, or maybe you didn't say that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Visually, do the, do the band mix well? Like, do they look like they belong together, or is it a little... Disconcerting. Absolutely, absolutely. If they look it, um, when they first come out, my God, no one looks particularly happy to be there. <laughs> I mean, during the first two or three songs, you know, I don't know if 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 they're getting their sea legs, if they're you know getting their mix right. Um, uh, Roger looked, you know particularly stoic and uh you know flanking either side of the stage stage left roger and stage right perry they they, they, they were both rather expressionless but i think that's that's been their their stick for years uh, on reddit i found a fantastic little thread and someone said that robert brought perry back just to annoy roger <laughs> oh that is priceless i mean i'm convinced every possible part that is being played is being played by human and if they are using metronomes or tracks it's very limb because i could literally you know grab the binoculars and watch uh the notes that uh, uh perry and uh, uh, Roger were playing on the uh, the keyboards, and it all seemed to line up that this was all a very human experience. 
Um, you know, the one thing that always blows me away is that no one had a like a controller of sorts or, or a PC of any sort. You know, when you, when you go to right. CES, you've got Jeff Downs with three <laughs> monitors, <laughs> right? Like, like there is none of that uh, in, in, in most bands. And I'm just curious how they, how they generate their sounds and how they manage their sounds. It's all, uh, it's all a mystery unless you can see a, a PC or something involved. But um, they had wonderful sounds that they uh, knew how to achieve very quickly. Uh, so clearly all of that is uh, rehearsed. I mean, it's impressive because they do mix up the encores so dramatically. And, and they even, you know, just in between uh, Montreal and New York, I was I was looking similar to you, and 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 even in the middle of the set, they had some interesting changes, uh, and that 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 that's pretty flawless. Yeah, it's it, it, it's it it really sounds fantastic. Well, so I was going to ask then the overall sound um, is is better than average would you say mm -hmm. i think given what the art form is you're dealing with stadiums you're dealing with you know stadiums that you know ha contain anywhere from 15 to 30,000 people and you you're bringing your own pa and you're producing all this and i i feel like i feel like they've achieved the critical threshold like you can have six people <laughs> <laughs> and you can make all this sound and it can be done really, really well. I, I mean, back years ago, I want to say 10 years ago, I saw arcade fire. Oh, okay. I've heard the name. name. I didn't know they had a bunch of people. That name is always so, why do I have such a problem with that? So I have seen some of these larger bands. The first one that I, that, that I really recall seeing live and intimately trying to understand was Arcade Fire. And, you know, at that time, I swear it was 11 people on stage. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's probably too much, you know? You really well, and, and it's 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 not just the number of people, right? Because we've all been to a lot of shows in big venues and small venues that just sound shitty. Right. You know, right, right. and and even if it sounds okay at the beginning, by the time everyone keeps turning themselves up, you know, above their neighbor, and that could certainly be exacerbated when you have six to twelve people on stage. Um, it's just it's just a. a God awful cacophony. Um, so when especially. And in fact, it doesn't matter. Jeff Lynn's ELO, hands down, the best sound I've ever heard in any venue. And I saw them in an arena, which wow. is just mind-boggling. Um, and I think it would probably be a tie for the worst sound between Marillion and the Granada Theater, unfortunately, which is nothing on Marillion because we know they can sound good. Yeah, yeah. And um, King's X at Trees, also in Dallas. Again, <laughs> not on King's X because I just saw King's X in a different venue and they sounded great. 
Um, so that's that's the spectrum that that I work off of here. But the the clips that I saw on social media sounded absolutely delightful. Mm-hmm. And and what was the what was what was the drum sound like, Ken? Oh, were, lovely. lovely. Were they were they tight, not too boomy? Lovely. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Joe, you know. <laughs> you know, I, I, I've wasted your, your your precious flavor minutes just babbling on about boomy kick drums for porcupine tree and seer. They nailed it. Um, awesome. Or, 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 or the Philadelphia Wells Fargo Center just so happens to not resonate too many horrible standing walls. Not sure what the the real reason is, but but I, I, I did very much, you know, enjoy a clear low end in that show. That's awesome. I love it. Was there any track in particular that really, you know, resonated with you, Ken Gregory? Um <laughs> or, or or let's extend it out to anyone in your viewing party. I don't like the song Push because it's the half-baked version of Just Like Heaven. Mm -hmm. Push has this kind of slidey, melodic guitar part that wasn't really fully formed. Uh, And Push is almost a little bit too beer commercial for the cure it sounds like (laughs) you know something that they just you know like they were making fun of frat boys and then they did this and it worked and they kept it you know push is not like your typical cure song um but then it happened live and it sounded great and i loved it cool And, and i could say the same thing for burn every night i burn um that's a little more aggressive than your average Cure song. Kind of the jungle drums tone yeah. kind of thing. And and it's a kind of song that could go either way for me. Like like I really get into it or it sounds a little overdone to me sometimes. And 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 I got to say there seems to be a very deliberate move on the part of Robert and the band to not include Fascination Street whatsoever on this tour. And I would say that the rocking replacement is Burn. Or, or yeah, or pro- probably Burn and maybe a little bit of Push. Interesting. Cool. So I garnered an appreciation for both Burn and Push because I couldn't get my Fascination Street. <laughs> Well, you know, you do what you have to do. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah, I, I, I gotta say, um, it just it, it comes back to Robert's voice. Um, I, I think there were just places where he just really, really sounded amazing. I think. Uh, God, I want to say that that you know, kind of the first encore, he sounded wonderful. Somewhere in between, I can never say goodbye. It can never be the same at night. Plain song and disintegration. I would I would say he vocally really peaked around then, and we got some really beautiful Robert moments. 
we made our escape after Friday. I'm in love. Uh, but still, as we walked away, I could still hear some of those additional encores happening. Yeah. Missed. Yeah, it's a shame you missed some good stuff there at the uh, the very end. I am very, very pleased when I was looking at some of these other set lists and, you know, again, the world in 1978, 1979 was a completely different place. But the fact that they now perform killing an Arab as killing another, I support this change. Oh, there you go. I, I did not know that that was uh, how, it, how it manifested. Yeah. So I, uh, I just think that's cool. And um, you may have heard in the background the, the latest uh, Palaver member, uh, Didi, who has um, taken the place of our dearly departed Hamilton. <laughs> she uh, she and, and Thor are still sort of working out their relationship, if you will. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, I really miss the, uh, the paw prints that we used to get. And your um oh, in the other house, yeah. The other house, the family room arrangement there really amplified <laughs> the uh, paw prints. I didn't hear a single paw today, unfortunately. Well, um, Dee Dee's paws are different. She um, she's got these really big pads, and her nails never even come close to the ground. So she's like stealth dog. <laughs> okay, it's really she's funny. Like a, She's like a Lexus redesigner. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, Ken, I, I'm so glad that you were able to have the experience that I was unable to have and come on here to, uh, to talk about it a little bit. It's, you know, it's, it's just, it's great. I think when, and I think you mentioned it at the top of the episode, right? Like live music, regardless of, of the type can be very inspiring and, um, you know, it's, it's always nice when you can go out and, you know, have an experience like that and, and maybe an experience that you wouldn't normally have or something that's maybe a little bit easier to digest than some of the stuff that we normally do. But um, we will continue to go to live shows and share our thoughts with our listeners. For the time being, Ken, I will, as always, thank you for your time and your consideration. I appreciate you, you know, sort of uh, keeping the mental notebook going while you are enjoying yourself at the show. And we look forward to talking about the rest of this good stuff. What a joy. Thank you, Joseph. All right. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Progressive Palaver. As always, we've enjoyed sharing the conversation with you, and we look forward to your thoughts, comments, feedback, and questions. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We are at ProgPala on all of those, or search for Progressive Palaver. You're welcome to email us. Our email address is progpala, that's P-R-O-G-P-A-L-A, at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or presumably wherever you find your podcasts. And we are as always, hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>